Our scripture reading this morning, which I believe we have a slide of, is Matthew 6, 33. I'm not sure which page it is on in the Red Pew Bible. Do we have that slide? Thanks. This is also our memory verse this morning, so um, I think I'm going to ask if we could all read it together. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the very word of God. Is it just me, or is this a little lopsided? <laughs> yeah. If you'd bow your heads with me. Gracious God, we give thanks this morning that you've given us your word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And that In Him, Your Word, given us in Holy Scripture, comes to life. And so as we hear Your Word this morning, Lord, let it be made flesh in us by the power of Your Holy Spirit so that we might be a people who live to Your glory in each and every moment of each and every day. This we ask in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, Amen. It has been my great joy over a number of years to be in partnership with you in ministry. On Mexico missions, as long ago as when Will was in fifth grade and and, 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 um, the, the kids that are all grown up now were just little bits of nothing, right? Um. In a study prayer and accountability group with Dave, providing coverage on vacations and sabbatical, we've shared laughter and loss, trials and triumphs, and a whole host of other things. For for Kathy and me, returning to Olivet feels like coming home. Um, There are family, friends, and fellowship here. There's good food and shared memories. And after all, that's what home is, is all about. More importantly, Olivet has been a place where we have grown in our ability and our desire to love deeply and sacrificially as we've been loved. Truly, there's no place like home. So thank you. Thank you for being such an encouraging, faith-nurturing presence in Will's life. Thank you for making space in your lives for Kathy and I again. It's good to be home. This morning, I want to explore the metaphor of home as we consider what a life wholly and gratefully submitted to our Heavenly Father might look like. We'll revisit at least a little bit past week's themes and explore new ground in our Fresh Start series. For me, home has been varied in many. There was a three-story, great-hauled house in Roland Park, Baltimore, which was my great-grandparents'. It had, it had secret back stairs. Um, it, it had the smell of ginger snaps that, that my great-grandmother made 
just wafer thin, so they melted in your mouth. It had this incredibly cool buzzer system by which my great-grandmother and great-grandfather called their English butler and maid, Wallace and Delia. And, and when we were kids, we would run around the house punching buzzers, running poor Wallace and Delia, who weren't young at that point, all over three stories of the home. It was the simple ranch I grew up in and which served as the base of operations for my initial explorations of the greater world. It was the two-story brick home of my teenage years that became the platform for faith. It, it was the dorm rooms of, of college that bore strong resemblance to a hogwalla, but, but taught me deep lessons that remain with me today. As some of you know, Kathy and I live in a, a part frame, part squared log, dovetailed notch cabin. Kathy humored me and, and gave me the freedom to build my dream and our dream together. So it's the place where we raised will, where we, we entertained guests and family, where we battled skunks, which is a story sort of ongoing, not for today. Um, felt incredibly blessed to look out over, over woods and fields and delight in God's incredible, remarkable creation. When life became difficult, it was a refuge. And in its creation, I had the opportunity to incorporate some of my quirkiness. Um, some of the things that I had collected and salvaged over the years became part and parcel of the house. So for me, home is a place where love is shared, where direction and correction is given. Life is experienced and reflected upon. It's a place where hurts are mended, where inspiration occurs, where Friendship is found and victories are celebrated. It's a place where identity and gifts are discovered and explored. But it's also a place where at times we experience the brokenness of the world. Home in this life is at its best an uneven experience. And I want to invite you this morning to take just a moment to reflect on what you live, on, on where you live, that is, and, and why it's important to you. What is it that makes home home for you? What is it that makes home home? Kids? Yep. Family? Yeah. Family and extended family. Sure. Do you get to get comfortable there? Familiarity. What? Familiarity. Familiarity, yeah. Yeah. You, you let your hair down. Memories, right. It's, it, it's, it's, it's all the experiences that, that have accumulated over, over days and weeks and months and years lived in a certain place. Keep going. What? Refuge, yeah. Yeah. Security, absolutely. A comfortable chair. You're talking my language. Keep going. Peace. Peace. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a place of connection and, and rootedness. We're going to get into that in, in way too much detail in just a minute. 
anymore? Kitchen. So, so this was spoken by a guy. What he really wanted to say was bacon, right? Okay. Love and forgiveness. Sure. Home is all of those things, all of those things, and more, more. Think about that. Now, despite, despite what we may think, the Bible says that the places you and I live are not our final forever home. The places we live are not our final forever home. Eric, I think we've got a, a Hebrew slide. Can you cue that up for me? Hear these words. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Do you hear it? This is Abraham. This is Sarah. And, 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 and these are folks who were called by God to go to a promised land, to a new home. And, and yet even for Abraham and Sarah back in the Old Testament... The promised land wasn't their final forever home. Do you catch that? For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. I think there's another one. Oh, it's okay. So let me me read a little bit here. For if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews goes on with his theme in 13. Let us therefore go to him, Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. We seek the city which is to come. Jesus said it. He said, in my father's house are many what? Mansions. Yeah, actually, actually, the text says many rooms and the image is of an insula. So, so in the Jewish world, a mom and a dad would build a dwelling And then when the oldest son marries, they'd add on a room, right? And the next son, another room. And and the house would grow and become a courtyard. And so so that's the image to think. In my father's house are many rooms. It's an insula. It's, It's a place where all of God's family is gathered together in community. In community. In my father's house are many rooms. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. John 14, 2 and 3. So how does the knowledge that Jesus has prepared a place for you with the Father make you feel? I don't know about you, but it makes me feel pretty daggone good. 
place has been prepared for me. There's, there's a spot in my father's house that has my name on it. There's, there's a comfortable chair waiting for me with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Okay. Now here's the pinch piece. Here's the pinch piece. If so, do your choices reflect your beliefs? Father, forgive me, but far too often my choices indicate that, that I live as if this home, whether it's church homes like Westminster or Epworth or Olivet or denominational homes like the PCUSA or the EPC or family homes like Roland Park or Ellis Road or J Drive or 9725 Showers Road are the end game in my story. Here's a look into the problem. Over the years that Kathy and I have been at 9725 Showers Road, I've continued to acquire and build kingdoms, right? My kingdoms may be a little different from yours, but but we all do it. One of my kingdoms is called library, and I constantly acquire books to add to my existing collection. Kathy is incredibly thankful for the period of time when I covered for Dave when he was on sabbatical a few years ago, And as a thank you, Olivet gave me a Kindle because now my library builds up digitally. It doesn't need more shelves in the house. Um, But that's just one kingdom. I also have a kingdom called tools. Um, I like to work on stuff, and, and so I love tools. Unlike my dad, I'm not a purist. It all doesn't have to be done by hand. I like power tools, so... So that's a kingdom. The third is called treasures and oddities. Um, Kathy calls these projects and family heirlooms. Um, they're things that I think are pretty cool and could even be cooler with a little bit of love and work, like this mission-style rocker. Solid oak, but it's, it's coming apart. But, but you can see the potential. It has good bones. You know, you can see what, what could be possible. Um, and, and if the truth be known, um, Kathy would have loved it if I would have loaded up a U-Haul of examples, brought them here, and left them here, right? right so it's, it, it's stained glass that's waiting to be restored that I've salvaged out of churches that were being torn down. It's, it, it's, it, it's furniture that needs some serious TLC. It's, it's stuff that I collected that that is just cool, like, like brass, um, brass fittings that came out of a ship. I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do with them, but i got to tell you, they are way cool. And, and that's, just, that's just a fraction of it. So then it's, it's family stuff. It's toys from, from generations gone by. Um, it, it's, it's things that remind me that I was valued and loved. You know, not many kids have, have a sterling silver mug to drink out of, have, have a sterling silver teething ring. You know, it, it, it's, it's all of the accumulated stuff. Some of them Ebenezer stones that help me remember who I am and, 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 and what I'm about. Some of them just really neat stuff that I've acquired along the way, like this, this hunk of beaver-chewed wood. Have you ever seen a beaver take down a tree? I mean, it's an amazing thing. And, and, and 
And one summer at Pioca, we got to see a male adult beaver whack up 30 feet of tree into chunks like this so fast it would make your head spin. And, and the wood is so polished and smooth where he peeled the bark off with those, those curved teeth that it, it takes your breath away. It's, it's a work of art. I've got all kinds of stuff like that. Here's the problem. I'm sure it's not just my problem. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and, and please feel free to commiserate with Kathy after the service. Somewhere, I got off track and began to major in minors. Do you hear that? I invest in things that are transient as if they are forever. I pour myself into activities that aren't eternal. And all at once, I'm exhausted and overwhelmed, and I've lost my way. I suspect, if the truth were known, that my prayer is yours. If there's a road I should walk, help me find it. If I need to be still, give me peace for the moment. So this morning, we're just going to stop for a moment. Tom's going to help us. We're going we're to reflect on where those areas are where you're living your life as if this is your final home. What would the testimony of your checkbook or credit card statement be in this regard? How would the use of your time or gifts show or fail to show honor to God? Would your calendar, your scheduler, acknowledge that you hold these things, your time, your gifts, your resources, in trust for Him and are using them for His glory? Help me find it. Help me find it. Reflect with me for a few moments. There's a road I should walk, help me find it. And if I need to be still, give me peace for the moment. Whatever your will, whatever your will, can you help me find it? Can you help me find it? If there's a road I should walk, help me find it. And if I need to be still, give me peace for the moment. Whatever your will, whatever your will, can you help me find it? Can you help me find it? For us to go where I think we need to go in our following of Jesus, we need to understand how this, 
the, the, the temptation to go off course happens. James 1, 14 and 15 delineates the mechanics of getting hooked. James says, but each is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do you hear it? Note the process by which temptation works. There's, there's always a look, right, when we're drawn away from that which is life-giving, which is, which is God-honoring. There's always a lust when our own desires are hooked as they're pulled off track. There's always a lure. We're, we're enticed, right? We're coaxed. We're urged to walk in ways out of God's paths. There, there's always a conception when desire is conceived and it begins to assume a life of its own. There's always a birth when it takes on an independent life. There's always growth and sin when full grown brings forth death. There's always death. So did you catch that Satan, the adversary, knows what will catch your and my attention? He knows those shiny things that are going to draw us off track. And and so he takes our God-given desires for love and security, for recognition and value, and slowly, subtly coaxes us off course. In the story of Cain and Abel, there's a wonderful phrase. The warning given to Cain. It says, we want to read it and think crouching. It says, sin is couching at the door. It's the image of of a beautiful woman, right? In a seductive pose, beckoning to a guy. Come here. Come on, right? Sin is couching at the door, waiting. It's it's the lure. It's the bait that's set for you and for me. And as we are coaxed off course, our now misdirected desire grows until it gives birth to sin. That is, sin takes on a life of its own and suddenly there's a price to pay and in the end, something precious and life-giving in your life and mine, dies. So what are those areas of your life in which you're prone to getting hooked? Where are your needs deepest? Mind you, all of us, you can't live in this world and not carry wounds. All of us carry wounds. And as a result, there are places where we are most vulnerable. Please know that Satan will start casting attractive lures in your direction. And he'll do it when you're tired and when you're distressed and when you're defeated, when your defenses are down and your mind is in a confused world. And he'll do it because it's exactly at those moments when you're most vulnerable to getting Hooked. Now know that when your temptation comes, it isn't from God. 
Let no one say when tempted, I'm being tempted by God, James tells us. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Know as well that there's no temptation that can come to you that others have not faced. Temptation is common. Now, I don't know how you understand that word, but but growing up in the South, when you talk about things being common, it isn't good, right? Temptation is common. That, that That means... Everybody's prone to it. Everybody, everybody sooner or later is going to get hooked in some way. In some way. But know this as well. God, God will provide a way out. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Isn't that encouraging? So exactly when, when you're distressed, exactly when you're defeated, exactly when you're discouraged, exactly when you're exhausted, when, when your resources are lowest and your ability to resist is low, God will provide a way out. God will provide a way out. With the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Now, know that the means through which God provides escape is first and foremost the Word made flesh and the written Word. If you and I are to live the vibrant, abundant, unexpected by our world lives that God intends for us and is provided for out of His wisdom and grace, we have to draw close to Jesus. If you don't believe me, listen to the Word. This is spoken of Peter and John. Peter and John, in in the early stages of Acts, have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. They're boldly sharing gospel. And they're arrested for it. And here's what the authorities say. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and common men, there's that word again, They were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So, it's remarkable that that they have this bold, wise witness because they're uneducated and common. They're like us in the larger scheme of things. They're they're not the high and mighty. They're not not the, 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 the brightest the most gifted. And yet, and yet, because they had been with Jesus intimately and allowed that intimate relationship to shape and mold them, a remarkably different story is being told. So, if you're going to live the life God calls you to, you first got to be with the Word made flesh and the written Word. Because a single word from God can remake your world and remake you. Second, you have to be committed to worship and prayer. Those times where we refocus our hearts and minds and spirits upon God and His His work and way and will in and for the world. You have to be committed to accountable life in community. 
Why? Because, because we are so incredibly good at deceiving ourselves. And it takes someone who knows us well to call us to attention. I thank God for Kathy because she calls me to attention. I thank God that, that I've been in partnership with Dave since 1994 when he first came to Olivet because, because Dave knows me and he'll hold my feet to the fire. And I know Dave. And I'll hold his feet to the fire. What would you like to know this morning? (laughs) Do do, do I need to talk about Dave's incredibly bad selection of restaurants? How how he can pick a restaurant that's been cited 14 times by the health department for violations that they're going to shut it down for, right? I'll be good. We'll stop. Accountable life in community matters, matters. And through creation, where we see God's work as we walk with God in his world. That's exactly why a part of this trip includes Yosemite. It's it's exactly why one of Kathy and my bucket list is to do the Grand Canyon rim to rim. It's one thing to see the Grand Canyon from the top. It's another thing to experience it totally. As you've, as you've lived, lived the canyon. In, in Genesis chapter 1, remember, it says that we were created by God. So, so your life and mine, everything we have, everything we are, everything we would be, comes as a gift from who? From God. But remember... Part of the story, a significant part of the story, is that we were created for a purpose. Do you remember what the purpose is? What was the purpose? What? We're we're created to glorify God. Yep. First line of the catechism, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But that's not the piece I'm hitting at here. Remember... Our charge when we were created at Genesis. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and what? Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, if you want to understand why this is so important, you've got to go back and read Genesis 26. God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. We were created. We were created to multiply folk in the image of God. Here's the problem. In Genesis 3, we decide we don't want to multiply folk in the image of God. We want to multiply folk in our own image. This is why Kathy has this problem, right? We want to multiply folk in our own image after our own likeness. And we've been doing it ever since. And the incredible good news of the gospel is that God sends his son so that the image can be reset in us. So I want you to listen to some words. I know that, that, that you've dug into these before. Um, they come from the book of Colossians. But hear them again. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. There's a word in there, firstborn, it occurs two times. That word firstborn is the Greek word prototokos, from which we get our word prototype. What's a prototype? First, it's the first. It's, it's, it's the model from which everything else is made. Jesus is the model for God's intention for who? Yeah, for you and me. That's what life is supposed to look like. That's why Jesus came back, so that life could again be like that right now, in this moment. In, in this time, in this space, when we were created by God, we were made to find our identity and purpose in Him as we walked in intimate relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the garden. You remember the story? In sweet, trusting community, we were intended to carry out our mission of multiplying folks in the image of God after his likeness. In ongoing covenant partnership, we were equipped to exercise loving, gracious dominion over the great good creation which God entrusted to us. But here's the problem. Even for those of us who have come into a new relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're not taking care of business, we can get Hooked. We can get hooked, right? And, and all of a sudden, a good thing... So, so you understand that, that, that part of this with me is, is I see things that can be repurposed. I see people that can be repurposed. That's a part of my calling, right? But you understand it can get pulled off track, right? It can get pulled off course. And then all of a sudden, something intended for good, part of God's design for me, becomes something else. And we need to have a really big yard sale to clean out the garage and the workshop. Okay? Here's the hard news this morning. Olivet is not Kathy and mine or your Capital H, home. 9725 Showers Road, plug in your address here, is not your capital H, home. The EPC is not your capital H, home. At best, all of these are but a shadow and a foretaste of what is to come. Now, as long as this structure serves the mission of God's people in this place, you invest in the structure. But remember, structure always serves the mission. Always serves the mission, right? If it had been God's will, 
and the court case had gone the other way, and you would have had to figure out how to live without the structure, it would have been okay, right? Because, because the structure is not your final home. The structure is simply a vehicle for mission, for God's work in the world through this body in this place. At, the, at their best. Church and home and denomination and a whole host of other things. Work, places that we make home are but a shadow of what's to come. So we end as we began. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be what? Also. So, I told you I have memorial stones. One of them is this chunk of wood that came out of a tree that we had to take down in our backyard. As as I count, there are over 50 rings here, each representing a year of life for this tree. But what's the problem? Yeah, there's a hole. And, and, And the hole is where? In the center, which is called the heart of the tree. When the heart dies, life may continue for a while, but it won't last long. Where your treasure, right? Say, say that verse again with me. Yeah, there will your heart be also. And God help us, too often our treasure is on things that are finite, that will not last. And, and, and so the end result of that, sooner or later, is the heart dies. And you may continue to live, you may continue to breathe, you may continue to take up space, but you are not fulfilling the purpose for which God designed you intended you. You are, not, you are not accomplishing your role in the gathered body of Christ. Because remember, it takes, it takes all of us, all of us, together in the body so that something new can be as a witness to the world by God's grace. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, unless we love the Lord our God with all. Every last jot and tittle. Unless God is our great treasure, our pearl beyond price. Unless we make our home, our capital H home, with the Father, we'll be prone to majoring in minors and allowing things that were intended to be penultimate. That's that's where language is is wonderful. When you learn Greek and Hebrew... They, 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 they just flog you so that you learn this. But, but here's one of the valuable lessons. In Greek, an accent can be either on the last syllable of the word, the ultimate, or one before the last, penultimate. God help us, we major in minors and we make things as final. We lift up things as ultimate that are not. And, and, and so, unless... God is our great treasure. We're going to be susceptible to having our God-given desires pulled off track and drawn off course. And most importantly, we're not going to know the incredible joy of living out of God's amazingly incredible forever now. 
We won't know the joy of living fully, finally, at home, in any place or any time because we're not going to trust God to be God. This is why Paul wrote these words. He said from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, he said, So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. It's my fervent prayer as well as Dave's, that you and I grow in our capacity to love God first and foremost. When that happens, we will suddenly find ourselves able to love others as graciously as God has loved us. And this is the really, really cool part. Regardless of where we are at the moment, whatever place, whatever time it is, suddenly that place and time will feel surprisingly, unexpectedly, like home. It happens because we live now out of what is to come. Jesus, draw us close. Draw us close to you so that we might live this way now and forever. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Love, security, family, identity. Let it be so, Lord. Amen and amen. So right now, right here, In this very place, at this very moment, we get to come home. We get to come into our Father's house and sit at His table and experience His presence, receive His forgiveness, drink deeply of His love, right? Celebrate His grace and be filled to overflowing with a hope and a joy that is unquenchable and cannot be denied. And cannot be denied. It's not by accident that on the night of his arrest, as he sat at table with the disciples, Jesus took the Passover bread and blessed it and broke it and shared it with them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, the third cup that had never been filled until that night. And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the table is set. The doors of our Father's house are open.
We get to come, and as we touch here, we touch there. As, as, as we experience community together in this moment, we get to taste what it's going to be like to be at that banquet at the end of time when all God's people are together celebrating at an unbelievable party the joy of being in His presence, fully restored, fully restored, fully repurposed. All this to God's glory. So, if the servers would come forward... if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that when we, we were far from you in our rebellion, when we fled far from, from our final home, you weren't content to leave us there, but ran after us. And so, Father, we pray today as we lift up to you before... Um, before this gathering, these humble elements from your creation of bread and, and wine that, that you might pour out your blessing on them and us so that we can experience a taste of what is to come. We can drink deeply of a love and grace that is beyond imagining and we might be strengthened by a hope that cannot be quenched. So, Father... As we partake, let us be remembered and made one. One heart, mind, and spirit, body, and soul. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. All this to your glory. All this we ask in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, Amen. Brothers and sisters, the table is set. Our Lord awaits.